Today's read, Midnight and the Meaning of Love by Sister Soja, Part 2, Japan Story, Chapter 8, The Kidnapper. The Shinkansen train I was booked on departed at 8 a.m. With the help of Chiasa translating, I handed them my rail pass and was issued an activated ticket that was good for me to travel round trip from Tokyo to Kyoto for an entire week. Chiasa and I parted at the point where all passengers are required to insert a small rectangular ticket into a slot that then opened the turnstile for each paying customer to enter. When I looked back to where she was standing, she was waving non-stop, something I noticed Japanese girls tend to do. First the bowing, then the waving, until they couldn't see you and you could no longer see them. She had held on to Akimi's diary and handed me a note with a few names, places, and addresses translated into English. She also handed me a new stack of index cards to study with phrases she thought would be more helpful for me to know. Some of them were funny like, have you seen the 100,000 yen shoe princess? Others were words she thought I should learn and listen for like, don't move, you're under arrest. Her study cards were much better than mine. She included on each of them the Japanese word written first in kanji and in romanji. And on the back, she printed the English translation for me. My cards were white, hers were green. She put them in order of the topics and even included the Japanese translation for I am fasting for Ramadan until sunset. No food or water, please. I cracked up when I shuffled down to the last few cards and seen that she had written and translated out all of their Japanese curse words. It felt good knowing that she would be here in Tokyo on point for me. And although her company for the past few days was good for me, I felt like my regular self moving around alone once again. The comfort, cleanliness, speed, organization, and beauty of the bullet train was something I had grown to expect in Japan. This seemed to be their way of life and atmosphere. I thought to myself that perhaps I was being spoiled here. When I returned to New York, it would be more no good than it had ever been. Hot, dirty, disorganized, disrespectful, and cold at the same time. White gloves over feminine fingers interrupted my thoughts. Well-dressed, humble, and subdued, the train attendant offered me softly. Coffee? Green tea? Chocolates? Almonds? Water? No, thank you, I said. The doe-eyed attendant pushed away with her tray full of temptations. It was remarkable to watch the Tokyo urban turn to rural, with several shades of green grass, of varying heights and incredible trees, framing farms and rice fields. My eyes were in constant motion, measuring and memorizing sights, sliding up and down hills and climbing mountains. I was exploring an Asian empire, but more than that, thinking about how versatile 
and all-powerful Allah is to have created such unique things, nature, people, culture, languages, and scattered them all over the world. Pulling out my paperback book on Naoko Nakamura, <clears throat> I would use my time to continue reading upon him. I was convinced that he remained in Rapangi, moving back and forth to and from Jinza in preparation for his Asian tour. The girl with the pink pump said that he took Akimi in an early morning surprise. Still, Chiasa had filmed him in Shibuya at 2 p.m. My wife is in Kyoto, I thought to myself, without her father's direct supervision or control. So how did he intend to keep her still and separated from me without her cooperation? As I opened up the tab- to the table of contents, my eyes moved across each offering of detailed information about Nakamura. There were chapters on his early childhood, military training, and education. Under the topic of education, there were separate chapters on his high school and his training at the University of Tokyo. In the university, he must have been he must have been involved in everything because there were separate chapters on his participation in the University of Tokyo debate team as well as the movement to discontinue English as a core requirement. He had also created some organization called Defenders of Japan and wrestled on the U of Tokyo wrestling team. I moved beyond all these because I was not interested in politics and couldn't see how learning about his politics could help the matter that I was involved in. As far as him being a wrestler, no problem. It wasn't worth considering to me. Fortunately, after those chapters and the listings of chapters concerning Nakamura's Yakuza connection, businesses, travels, and influential friends, there was an entire section on his private life. I flipped to page 306 and began reading there. The chapter was called Mysterious Marriage. This mattered to me because Naoko's wife was Akimi's mother, and Akimi was very connected to her and to her memory of her. I was intrigued by the opening lines of this chapter. Naoko Nakamura chose his wife without ever meeting her in person, nor did he do any of the traditional Japanese pre-wedding procedures, perhaps because his biological father was deceased and he had become estranged from his own mother. He didn't see a need to do so. However, upon further investigation, the marriage of Naoko Nakamura becomes more and more murky. None of Nakamura's closest relatives, friends, or allies participated in any part of the Nakamura marital ceremony. There were 
no wedding invitations, nor was any party given an opportunity to offer congratulations or gifts of good fortune. Because Naoko Nakamura, by this time, had become a prominent businessman and political force, as well as a high-profile agitator in Japan, this clandestine wedding was viewed with great suspicion. One source, who asked to remain anonymous, said about Naoko Nakamura's new bride, Shiori Nakamura appeared out of nowhere like a sudden breeze. Folding back the top of the page, I closed the book for a minute. That one paragraph got my mind racing. I knew that Akimi's cousin from New Jersey had once said to me that Akimi's mother was Korean, not Japanese. I knew that the name of Akimi's mother was printed in the program that I had gotten from Akimi's art show in Manhattan at the Museum of Modern Art. It was the same program that said that Akimi was a student at Kyoto Girls High. I'm good at remembering both names and faces. I was sure that her mother's name began with the letter J and it was simple like Jew. I snatched my Jansport, unzipped it, rifled through my papers and pulled out the program. Jew Yun Lee, that was the name. And the program also said that Jew Yun Lee was a celebrated North Korean author. So who was Shiori Nakamura? Was she a first wife? Were there some other brothers and sisters that Akimi had that I didn't know about and that she didn't mention and that no one in her family had mentioned? Not knowing the Japanese culture and beliefs, I was at a loss for answers about my wife's family, so I picked up the book and read on. Shiori Nakamura appeared out of nowhere like a sudden breeze. As an investigative author, I was certain that each human life has a definite history. I was determined to uncover the truth about the cold and calculating nemesis of America and American expansion. After several attempts to interview Naoko Nakamura, Nakamura's relatives failed. I attempted to interview his closest friends, acquaintances, and business associates. When these avenues were also closed, which with each of them refusing to meet to discuss in person or over the phone any aspect of Naoko Nakamura's life, I turned to pursuing the truth by way of interviewing Naoko Nakamura's enemies and disgruntled underlings. The following chapter represents the documented conclusions of seven years of tireless research and travel. Naoko Nakamura, a die-hard nationalist whose life efforts were toward building a self-sufficient, financially and politically independent Japan, free from American occupation and American military air bases and control, as well as a Japan with its own sovereignty, protected by its own well-trained and militarily equipped army, 
was having difficulty convincing top Japanese business elites of his credibility and furthermore bankability. Existing major Japanese corporations and their CEOs and executives were already in both formal and informal financial working relationships and alliances with American corporations. Even some of the most conservative Japanese corporations were in secretive, subcontracting, and consulting relationships with American consultants, experts, managers, and companies. Japanese corporate giants and executives did not trust that Naoko's philosophy and method of independence, along with the elimination of the American corporate presence and inroads into Japan's economy, would be fruitful. Nakamura, therefore, began covertly courting business alliances and contracts with former enemies of Japan, like China and North Korea. Under his new motto and banner of Asian Solidarity, Nakamura formed the Pan-Asian Corporation, rumored as having been funded in part by monies obtained through his Yakuza connection. In the process of promoting his newly formed corporation's business, he traveled throughout the Asian continent, representing himself not as the staunch Japanese-only pro-Japanese military guy, but with a new face of the Asian-friendly business tycoon who wanted to help all Asian countries to distance themselves from dependence on and domination by America and American businesses. Naoko won big by brokering an exclusive car manufacturing deal with the government of Thailand, which gave Toyota the exclusive right to design cars for Thai citizens' purchase. The Thai government gave Toyota, through a deal brokered by Nakamura, unfair trade advantages and in turn taxed American manufactured cars at the rate of 300%, making the American vehicles unaffordable to the people of Thailand. As the nation of Thailand moved from bicycles to motorbikes and motorcycles to tut-tuts to cars, Naoko Nakamura's Pan-Asian Corporation won big confidence in the Asian business region, big benefits, incentives, and great wealth. It was this deal that won Naoko Nakamura acceptance by influential CEOs who then began to trust Nakamura, at least as a broker of lucrative deals. It was in North Korea, however, that Naoko Nakamura discovered his wife-to-be, Ju Yun Lee. I put the book down, thankful that the author was about to get to the point. I was interested in the whole business building thing, though. I thought there was a real simple way for the author to break it down if he really wanted the reader to understand it. Naoko wanted to make paper in his country and use his power to protect his nation and people and family. He wanted America to get the fuck out so he and his crew could be the heavyweights on the block. He wanted the old boys who had been running things to team up with him and run the enemy out. That's how I understood it. 
I did have to, however, look some words up in my dictionary. They were clandestine, nationalist, conservative, sovereignty, covertly, staunch, and broker. I looked them up, wrote the definitions down in my notebook, and continued reading about my wife's parents. Ju Yun Lee was the daughter of a North Korean government official who controlled printing and the North Korean propaganda machine. His businesses was printing North Korean approved books, manuals, and pamphlets for the North Korean educational system. However, his reputation was tarnished when his wife suddenly defected to South Korea, leaving behind two daughters, one of whom was 14-year-old Ju Yoon Lee. Ju Yoon was a fan of great books and authors from all around the world. She led a sheltered life in a protected environment. Her best friends were books that her father kept hidden and locked in the basement of his home as part of a private secret collection of world literature. It is believed that the influence of these books spurred Ju Yun to take to the uncommon and bold step in a communist country of becoming a free thinker. She wrote her first book, which was more of a pamphlet, at age 14. It was titled Omhani, which simply means mother. Omhani which simply means mother in the Korean language. Using her father's private printing equipment, she and her best friend printed out the pamphlets and had them secretly circulated and distributed. The well-written, scholarly 10-page anonymous letter printed in the pamphlet caught on like wildfire. Some say it was because of the political argument that Ju Yoon raised in her writing as she spoke to her anonymous mother about freedom, family, and national loyalty all being the same concept. Others say the pamphlets became popular because they were forbidden fruits. However, the most compelling reason for the popularity of the pamphlets among North Koreans, young and old, male and female, military and civilian, was the provocative picture of a young, perhaps 14-year-old, naked Korean girl on the cover, lying on the floor in the fetal position with her newly blossomed breasts and curves and a full flow of long, straight black hair concealing her face. Omani was only the first of Ju Yoon's famed underground writings. She went on to publish 12 pamphlets in total, all following the same format of politically charged passionate and scholarly arguments enclosed in a cover displaying an attractive young teen, a long-haired girl, naked and faceless, striking a highly seductive pose. A pamphlet entitled One Womb, Ju Yoon's 12th publication is rumored to have landed in Naoko Nakamura's far-reaching hands and moved him so passionately that he had to have the then 15-year-old anonymous girl for his own. In this, her final political pamphlet while living in North Korea, Ju Yoon wrote and argued passionately that North and South Korea are born 
of the same womb, sisters of the same mother. She used the metaphor of two sisters bound by blood and love and life who got into a heated argument. One sister got married to an outsider, an American, and allowed the outsider to prevent the sisters from ever forgiving each other or making amends. The two sisters, therefore, became strangers to one another, forsaking their true blood relationship and one of them bonding only with the stranger instead. Ju Yoon argued heatedly that no matter what, despite all arguments and disagreements, the depth of the sister's relationship and sister's destiny will forever be entangled and intertwined and inseparable because they share the same blood, the same language and culture, and because they emerged from the same womb. She argued convincingly that North Korea and South Korea, on closer inspection, also share the same enemy. Ju Yoon accused the American stranger of augmenting a hatred between sisters and pursuing the complete isolation and elimination of one sister, namely North Korea. It is the photo on the cover of One Womb that caused the rage, however, and led the free, anonymous, underground pamphlet to triple its printing. The attractive teen on the cover was photographed naked and sitting with her legs opened on the edge of a simple wooden chair. The young girl's head was down, disguising her face. In Ju Yoon's signature style, her long hair was hanging from her head and flowing down finally intermingling and resting in her private hairs. Naoko Nakamura, according to an undisclosed source, paid 1 million yen, 100,000 American dollars, to a North Korean agent to identify the girl on the cover. He then paid 1 million yen to another North Korean man to capture her. 15-year-old Ju Yoon Lee, arrived in Osaka, Japan by sea on the dark waters of the dark night. No source has confirmed or documented what happened between Naoko Nakamura and Ju Yun Lee once she arrived in Japan. However, on her 16th birthday, Naoko Nakamura married her at his Kyoto home. 16 is the legal age for females to marry in Japan. On Ju Yun Lee's first public sitting, she was presented by Naoko Nakamura as his new wife, a 16-year-old Japanese bride whom he introduced as Shiori Nakamura. Months later, the couple announced the birth of the daughter, who would be their only child, Akimi Nakamura, Born at midnight, born at midnight at their Kyoto home on December 31st, 1970. Perhaps her entrance into the world was clouded by the Japanese New Year celebration, which is the most important holiday of their year. It marked a new beginning for the couple, as well as ushering in the financial high point of the Pan-Asian Corporation. Both of my sources of the above information were murdered in Japan on separate dates and in separate places and by different means. Both of my sources' murders remain unsolved. 
This information, therefore, cannot be corroborated at the time of this book's publication. However, as an author, I testify to these facts, which I obtained against a wall of cultural silence, and as an outsider, a gaijin. My written and secretly recorded interviews with both of my sources for the above information remain secured at the time of publishing. This first publishing makes those interviews a matter of record. Mind-blowing. That's how I felt about the unauthorized biography, Never Surrender. I looked up the words nemesis in my English dictionary and gaijin in my Japanese dictionary. The new words I was learning danced around in my mind. Captured at 15. In what month of her 15th year was she captured? She was still in North Korea when she published her last pamphlet at 15, the book said. It had to take some time for it to be distributed, read and discussed, and for Nakamura to get hold of it as well. Then she was captured and brought to Japan, but not married until 16. Did he go into her before their wedding? Ju Yoon gave birth to my wife, Akimi, months later. How many months later, I asked myself. Murder, I thought to myself. Men will murder to protect their land, women, beliefs, and profits. However, Nakamura was not an honorable man. He wasn't driven by any true beliefs. He believed only in himself and what he wanted at the moment. He took by force what should never be taken by force. A woman's heart and a woman's body. He was so far from the truth that he would not even allow his wife to keep her name. Why? In the Sudan, a woman will always keep her name the name of her father and the name of her father's father. We are a country of fathers. We are all traced through our fathers and no one will think of taking that away from a woman. Even after a Sudanese woman's marriage, she is still identified through her father. I began considering. What are the consequences in a nation of fathers when a person has a father who is corrupt, without faith, or boundaries, or limits? And then my mind returned to murder. The author's two sources were both eliminated. Pushing the puzzle pieces around, I figured that these were the same two guys that Nakamura paid the money to to get his hands on Ju Yoon. He made agreements with them, signed them, and paid out the proper sums. Then he murked them. I was realizing this was his style. He comes in the form of business. He makes agreements as though his word is bond, like any true man's word is bond. Then he doubles back. 
and betrays his own word and signature and agreement the same way he did when he signed the marriage papers for Akimi and me. He gave his word, printed his word, and then doubled back and kidnapped his daughter the same way that he had kidnapped his wife. Deceitful motherfucker, I thought to myself. Then I breathed some to erase my anger. Returning to the few remaining pages of the chapter titled Mysterious Marriage, I continued to read on. <coughs> Ju Yun Lee's, or Shiori Nakamura's loyalty to her husband, Naoko Nakamura, was solid and impeccable. During their first year of marriage and her pregnancy, she was seen only at selected high-profile social gatherings with her husband, where she was reportedly joyful, polite, alluring, and silent aside from introductions, greetings, and small niceties. Readers and fans of her anonymous free pamphlets were not given any new writings from Ju Yoon until five years later. Her new pamphlets, published as small, thin, softcover books, were not anonymous and were not free. They were written, published, and advertised, and sold under the name Shiori Nakamura. After a careful and thorough analysis of the writing style, the word usage and placement, the passion and the philosophy driving the work, England's England's famed historian Robert Barringer concluded that Shiori Nakamura's books and the underground North Korean pamphlets do indeed share the same author with an acknowledgement of an identifiable, maturing, as well as philosophical and intellectual growth. Shiori Nakamura, the author, debuted as a young Japanese mother convincing other mothers who read her letters, stories, and poems that women are the key to national security. She argued that if new mothers raised their children with an unreserved, unconventional love and emotion, a new, more compassionate generation would emerge and seize the reins of power. A more compassionate, loving, loved child will put forth a more compassionate philosophy, politics, and policy, thus saving nations from war and death and hunger and disease and chaos. She taught that only this new philosophy would save Japanese mothers from their depression. Shiori's writings elevated the abnormally conservative and servile posture of the traditional Japanese woman. She issued controversial writings that were broadly discussed and debated. She emphasized a more balanced, well-learned, and peaceful global community. She delivered a best-selling manual called How to Raise Strong, Feminine, Knowledgeable Daughters. When she was not writing or offering her annual reading, she was an at-home wife and mother completely dedicated to the raising of her one child, reportedly in the manner which she described in her work. Naoko Nakamura allowed her. Extremely clever, he knew well how to make 
maximum use out of each piece and person in his kingdom. He believed that his wife's philosophy was not in conflict with his Pan-Asian philosophical face, from which he benefited financially over many years. Shiori Nakamura would read her work publicly only once a year. She appeared demure and lovely, speaking well-polished and perfect Japanese. She refused all interviews, nor would she answer questions. <clears throat> Shiori Nakamura died tragically young at the age of 28 from brain cancer. This author sympathetically submits that it must have been difficult and debilitating for her to live a life of secrets, particularly a secret identity which may have complicated her health in the end. Her daughter, Akimi Nakamura, is noted throughout Japan as a young, artistic genius to watch for. Below is Ju Yun Lee's last poem, which offers subtle hints of her evolution and beliefs and secrets and sorrows and joys. The young North Korean woman, having emerged from a communist country, makes overtures to God in Sufi-like implications and pays homage to life and love. The first and only slight disagreement with her husband is hinted at here in the lines she penned. Perhaps Ju Yoon saw her life's end approaching. Hanan him. People who love are different from everybody else. People who feel are more fortunate than all. Rich men who buy and grab up things are just moving them around. They have bought these things with money which they can never own. A mother with life in her womb is the one who is truly wealthy. A newborn in the arms is beyond oil in one palm and pure gold in the other. Father says that there is no God so that I might worship him. But something is moving in the atmosphere, not for viewing, but for sensing and being changed by that I can feel, I am certain. My first love was the sky. Who created that? My second love was my mother's eyes that revealed a reflection of me. My father had a house of great beauty built for us all. But who created the mind, the memory, and the imagination? I'd sit in the soil, surrounded with no walls, just to talk to that one, even without words. Diamonds are lovely, but sound is lovelier. Roller coasters are thrilling. My clitoris clothed in my vagina is more, more, more. Why turn on the lights when we can lie under the glare of the moon? 
why listen to the call for war when we can make love? He wants revolution, but I want passion revolving in my soul. A man invented the fan, but who created the wind and caressed it into a breeze, then converted it into a storm? A cloud holds the water, yet both clouds and water were created. Impress me not with castles, cars, or clothes. I'd rather meet the maker of rain, but would be content with simply being showered while lying in the grass, facing a darkened sky, pregnant with thunder and leaking lightning. My husband asks me, do you love me? So gently I answer him, I love the creator of life. This is why I can love you. Yet everywhere that I see and feel a trace of the creator, the light of life, there is so much love in it for me. By Ju Yun Li, the poem. I read it five times over. When I read the last words for the fifth time, I felt a new love born within myself for my wife's mother, and an even deeper love and understanding of my wife as well. Ju Yun Li showed me the parts that make up the soul of Akimi, and the reason that Akimi was capable of such deep love for me. I could see now why and how Akimi was at ease with my faith and so captivated by my beautiful Uma who has a soul similar to Ju Yoon's resting in her bosom. True, their methods and manners are extremely different, yet their intent and their meaning was beginning to feel the same to me.